Hello everybody, Rod Murray here. Just before we get episode 88 underway, a quick reminder about our upcoming State of the Game course study tour to Barnboogle Dunes. If you've never been to Barnboogle, it is a must-visit destination. And if you have been, then you know that it's worth revisiting. Mike Clayton and I will be heading to this Tasmanian gem for three days of golf and full golf nerdery in May this year, and we're inviting you to join us. Three rounds, including a bunch of golf with Mike himself, and a special recording of the State of the Game pod, with your questions included, on the Saturday night. This is bucket list stuff for every golf tragic with an interest in golf course architecture. The cost is less than $1,500, including breakfast, dinners, green fees, and airport transfers, so do yourself a favour and check out the details. I've put a link in the show notes, or you can find the brochure and booking form by heading to www.stateofthegame.fireside.com. Dot .fm that's state of the game dot fireside dot .fm and navigate your way to the GCA tours page but don't dally because places are limited i look forward to seeing plenty of you there in may but in the meantime enjoy episode 88 And welcome to episode 88 of State of the Game, the golf podcast that, as listener Mike Hennessy reminded me on Twitter this week, will do nothing to fix your slice, but does talk about the stuff that matters. My name's Rod Murray, and what matters on this episode is rules, rules, and more rules. As predicted, there's been lots of chatter about the revamped laws covering the game, but while the knee-high drop looks awkward and debate rages over whether leaving the flag in is an advantage, a much more serious issue has been bubbling away This week, 16-year-old Lucy Lee has been involved in what most analysts feel is a clear breach of the rules of amateur status after appearing in a social media video promoting the Apple Watch, and that has left the USGA in a particularly tricky situation. In a world where elite amateurs seemingly receive all the free equipment and apparel they could possibly want, there are serious questions being asked about what amateur status even means anymore. Is it time golf followed the lead of most other big sports and did away with the separation between recreational and professional play? Or are there good reasons to maintain and perhaps even tighten the existing regulations? Joining me to discuss all this and much, much more today are two of the keenest minds in the game from the US. It's writer, analyst, author, course designer, blogger and more, Jeff Shackelford. Jeff, welcome. I know you've already written plenty about this Lucy Lee issue, but I get the feeling you're going to be writing plenty more. Yeah, I think it's going to be a huge story. There's a lot going on right now on our, our state of the game front. It's come out uh, wild and crazy to uh, begin the, the, the 2019 season. I wish we kind of knew. Although the league situation, we did not see coming. An unexpected, I thought there was going to be a rules brouhaha before February, but I didn't see this one coming. I'll be completely honest. Looking forward to digging a bit more deeply into all of that with you. Alongside our fellow co-host today, a man who hasn't been called an amateur since, I believe, 1982. He was, in fact, a two-time winner of the Victorian Amateur, as well as capturing the Australian Amateur title in 1978, before going on to a successful professional career in Europe and Australia. I speak, of course, of touring professional turned course architect and columnist Mike Clayton. Clayton, Clates, I almost called you a former touring pro there, but I'm not sure golfers ever really retired, do they? I saw you giving the young blokes a run for their money for a couple of holes at that Blitz golf event the other day, did I not? Uh-huh. I did. I did play that Blitz golfing where you play nine holes and they knock some players out, then you play six holes and they knock more out and they finish up with two at the end of the day. So whilst it's... Yeah, it was actually quite fun. I got through the first lot, then missed out in a shootout, the nearest the pin contest for the, for the to make the last four. But anyway, 
Is it a better um, alternative than some of the Super Sixes or other stuff that we've seen? What, what was your take on it as a format? There, a lot of people are talking it up quite big, this Blitz idea. Well, I say Blitz, but I left home at 6 o'clock and got home at 6 o'clock. <laughs> t- t- and I played 15 holes and didn't make a bogey and I was out. But um, So it's not that quick, but it's... Um, for the spectators? Lot... Good show for the yeah, spectators? There, well, it was a terrible day. It was really hot. It was 40 degrees and hot north wind day, so it was... It was really hot. But, yeah, there were a few there. It was quite good. Yeah, good stuff. It's a weird event was, they, um, they have down here, Shaq, that this blitz golf they've started. Actually, you might have seen it, Shaq. There was a little video of Clates talking about, of all things, tree removal. Wow. Uh, did you see that? He was he was strolling down the fairway with his single strapper over the shoulder. Oh, yes, very I did. Cool, yes, yeah? yes, yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> was some concern, Clates. Apparently, the right-handed golfer carrying the bag over the left shoulder is unacceptable. Did you know that? Uh, I did say that. I, <laughs> I, I carry both shoulders. Anyway, um, there's a prime at Heelsville next week where um, 18 holes to qualify and then and then six is match play the next day. So okay. six hole matches the next day. So I think men and women, all, all the same. Oh, so cool. Sue, okay. Sue O's going to play. Uh-huh. I can't can't convince Ogilvy to play, sadly, but um, that'll be quite fun to see how that goes, really. Yeah, fantastic. It'll be good. Let's all look. They're they're trying stuff, and that's you know for those of us who've been bleating about seventy-two hole stroke play being far too much of a diet, you can only tip your hat and say keep trying and uh, until you come up with something interesting. Jeff, let's uh, cross from the professional game back to the amateur game. As I said, this Lucy Lee story, it's been kind of bubbling away, isn't it? But it really is a big story, and the USGA are in a tight spot. Give us a thumbnail sketch of what's happened with Lucy Lee, who I think we all remember probably most fondly from twenty fourteen licking an ice cream while she was sitting in a press conference yeah. as an 11-year-old playing the U.S. Women's right. Open. Well, and now she's one of the best female amateur golfers uh, in the world. And Number nine in the world. Number nine. So. nine yeah, which Wh- makes which... eligible for the Augusta National Women's Amateur this year, uh, which adds to the uh, enjoyment factor of this whole story, <laughs> um, of the, the, the head-scratching and um, uh, number of meetings that are having to take place, because that certainly is something that, uh, they they uh, want to get off on the right note and and uh, don't want to have any kind of uh, of controversy uh, associated with it. So she uh, it's very simple. She she mysteriously for whatever reason uh, filmed a very elaborate Apple Watch ad uh, that that ran only online on their Twitter account, but obviously that reaches a lot of people and is significant. And the production value suggests that it, it was intended to be used uh, more than just online. I, I wonder if the ad was filmed with the idea that it would appear at some point after she turned pro. Maybe she was planning to turn pro this spring or summer. I don't know. That's just pure speculation. But it just clearly was a very involved production uh, i mean we filmed her in fake social settings and um scripted nike outfits throughout and so it, it's just a clear violation even if she wasn't paid as her her mother tried to claim uh and if that's the claim then there's really need to be questions about the parenting and why would you <laughs> what is subject your daughter but i'm assuming with more than one day of filming mm-hmm. uh i'd be shocked if that was all done in one day uh multiple days from a major corporation uh, that has more money than it knows what to do with in, in advertising. Um, so it's it's a clear violation if you read the rules, whether she was paid or not. She was using her likeness 
Um, but as you know, the, 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 the world is really changing in this department, and uh, we can get into that, but, but uh, it adds to the complexity of making a decision on this for the governing bodies. So they now have to decide, I suppose. The USGA have said they're looking into it, and I can only, in this case, I must say, I do feel for them somewhat. Um, they've kind of been, they've had no involvement until this ad pops up. Now they've just, they've just got to, got to deal with it. Do you reckon it was deliberate on the part of Lee and her advisors? Is there any, any chance that perhaps what she was trying to do here was cause a bit of a controversy? Because I mean, they don't really have a choice, do they, Jeff? They've got a stripper of her amateur status or change the amateur status rules for everybody. They're the only two options, aren't they? I can't imagine they were trying to break some new ground. Uh, I don't know them well enough to, to know whether Apple, that's the could, case. Could Apple be? I don't think so. Apple, uh, no. Nike, I could see wanting to sure. do something like that at certain times in their uh, history, but I'm not sure if Nike Golf is looking to uh, uh, to do something like that now. Um even them, I, I just think they've kind of gotten to know golf better and know that uh, that's really not going to uh, sell them any more goods to to to, to push the uh, um, edge of the envelope. But so I, uh, but I'm curious. I don't. I'm. I'm I'll explain why I don't have any sympathy. But what, why? What, why do you have sympathy uh, for the USGA on this one? Oh, okay. Uh, well, only because I mean they made the rules. They made the rules quite clear. I'm sure they're all the amateurs at Lucy Lee's level, know the rules. And this is just such a blatant breach. So now their PR issue is going to be, if they do what they have to do, which is take away our amateur status, we're going to be back to the, you know, out-of-touch blue blazers. Why do they do this? Here's a kid. They should be... In fact, I've already seen this line many times. The USGA should be happy that Apple picked a golfer to appear in the campaign. I know. That's the sort of publicity they couldn't generate themselves. So they're going to come out of this looking bad no matter what they do, which when you're a ruling body, I guess, is probably part of the turf, isn't it, Jeff? It is. It sounds like you think they brought it upon themselves. So I'm 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 interested in that idea too. The current uh, regime did not. I think this really goes back to, well, two things. One, uh, the loosening of all the rules on, on free equipment, and and more importantly, and I I've written about this quite a bit, and and everybody just tells me you know I'm an old uh, buddy duddy, but the loosening of the rules on what you can wear and what you can present yourself as when you're playing amateur golf, and namely in the form of corporate logos, and I think once you chipped away at what it means to look like an amateur and present yourself uh, like an amateur by getting free equipment, having been on a first name basis with uh, a manufacturer who you're associated with. I mean, they essentially amateurs now, ha- you know, that they, they have they sign deals essentially with these companies, and they don't actually sign a contract, and they don't actually get paid, but they they're on a first name basis with a rep. And um, at the U.S. Amateur, you, you have you have players that are represent that are that are tied to one player, and another player is tied to another manufacturer, and. It's embarrassing, and then they're they're scripted outfits, and they they look like billboards. So once you blurred that line, uh, I don't know how you you uh, um, then say to somebody, well, yes, you can wear, uh, you know, Lucy could wear an Apple Watch and wear an Apple Watch hat uh, in <laughs> in uh, competition, but she can't do the ad. Can't do uh, 
interesting. It's just, it's just, uh, and then you, of course, we have another issue in, in, in just the world where the Olympics now, Olympic athletes can be endorsing things, just not in the window immediately before the Olympics. Uh, so that's blurred the line that complicates things. And then you just have a general uh, mentality, and I don't think you want me to go down this this too deep of a rat hole, but where we're we're determined to push people at a younger and younger age to be uh, stars and to be making money, mm. uh, and and uh, we're 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 seeing it in basketball right now, where even the people who are are frustrated by the decline of the quality of college and NBA basketball in the United States, who will who will tell you it's because we're pushing younger players who aren't fully developed onto the big stage. Uh, they're also, even those people now are saying, ah, well, but it's their right to make money. And so society's just changed its, its perspective on wanting to, to rush people and get them out there sooner. And, and, um, I find that to be uh, a, a big part of this story as well. Mm. Uh, ironically, this is a side note, and come, I want to come to Clates and get some of his thoughts, but ironically, I suppose, Shaq, of all the golf organisations, the LPGA has had the most sensible uh, approach to the notions of young people turning professional, hasn't it? Uh, this all sort of blew up with Lexi Thompson a couple of years ago. I think she was 16 years yeah. old when she won her first one. Lydia Coe was the same. Their rules, and Brooke Henderson was in the same boat too, their rules are yep. very sensitive. Yep. If, if you're good enough to have won a tournament, then you're good enough to join the tour. But otherwise, you wait till you're 18. That's kind of the deal, isn't it? And there's some common sense to that that I think, you know, most could. I think the PGA Tour has got a similar rule that um, I know that the LPGA in particular, they probably get more. People. And they've gotten a lot of heat for it, too. Yeah. And uh, again, under the same general discussion of, well, if somebody's good enough, mm-hmm. they should be allowed. And and yes, that that's a lovely argument, except that we, we know that, that, professional sports and, and being under the microscope and, and everything that goes with it uh, is stressful. It's a lot to ask. I know people are growing up faster than they ever have, but they still uh, there are still very few people who are able to handle all that and, and handle it well. Yeah, uh, the, and there are many more who don't. Yeah. And so we do have to have, I would think, some obligation as a society to, to draw the line uh, and and understand that most people will fizzle out or it will backfire and and it's not right and and really we know where this is coming from all of this is driven all of it is driven by the advertising industry they want younger people on big stages because they want to get younger audiences and they want they they keep telling companies that's who you have to get to there's a certain age where you're vulnerable to advertising. And so if the people on the main stage are younger, they think they're going to get younger audiences. And it's all really rather revolting when you think about it. Yeah, it is, indeed, there's a bunch of rabbit holes to open up there. I want to come to you, Clates. Yeah. I want you to, <laughs> to to tell me, Clates, I think you turned pro in 81, late 81 or early 1982. What were the rules around amateur status like at that time? And you play with a lot of elite amateurs these days around Melbourne and what are you a bit of a mentor to quite a few of them what are the rules of amateur status like these days compared to what you can recall well when I I remember I used to sneak into the car park with the Spalding rep and he would slip me a dozen balls whenever I needed them which was against the rules <laughs> really but, yeah know, but, yeah yeah but everybody broke the rules there was that famous line about when Jack Nicholas said to a USGA guy you told me someone who hasn't broken the rules of amateur status. And the guy said, B, 
Bill Campbell. He said, "Okay, I'll give you Bill Campbell. Give me another one." <laughs> so all of us were all of us were getting free clubs and free balls when it was against the rules, and because none of us could afford it, we we're all students. We didn't mean money. We couldn't afford. Well, wait, what was you know it was we couldn't afford to buy new balls. Truthfully, mm-hmm. so um, I think you could just then have a bag with a logo on it. Otherwise. You know, I grew through that age in the late 70s where golf bags had to be plain. I mean, now you can't buy a plain golf bag. But yeah. then you, you you couldn't have a company logo on a golf bag. Um, they were the two main rules. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you, couldn't, you couldn't get free stuff and you couldn't advertise anything. Were, were there many yeah. many instances where you brushed up, where you got called aside? Or was there much of that? Or was it a bit of a blind eye situation? Do you recall it being oh, a big no. deal? No, no, it was a blind eye situation. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, when everyone knew, I mean, uh, and the best players, Tony Gresham and Kevin Hartley were the two best amateurs in Australia for years. They, they always had PGF clubs and PGF bags, and you know, they weren't paying for them. I assume they weren't paying for them. So, you know, so that so wasn't that, a coincidence, Clates. We all thought that was a coincidence that they just <laughs> both happened to be playing PGF yeah. and the latest PGF stuff all the time. Sorry, I'm interrupting. Yeah. So the club companies like to give the best amateurs clubs to use, which was. Looking back now, it's, it seems very silly and quaint that amateurs would be expected to... You know, the best amateurs wouldn't get the, the occasional set of free clubs. I'm sure they weren't paying them any money. But, you know, a set of free clubs a year was hardly you know, sort of a terrible thing that I wouldn't have thought. But it was against the rules. Hmm. Um, what about now? And, what do you see now? Well, I, well, I'm going to use the argument that you either have rules and you, uh, and you play by them or you don't. Or you don't. Hmm. So... But I'm going to be incredibly hypocritical when I, you know, this Lucy Lee thing is ridiculous. I mean, clearly it's against the rules. I mean, it's a blatant stick this in your face, USGA. Watch what we're going to do now and how are you going to handle this? I mean, it's ridiculous. So, you know, I don't see they have a choice in terms of what they do. They've got to take her amateur states away. But, um, you know, it's just a blatant, I mean, when we were getting free stuff, we weren't sticking it in the face of the officials and saying, look, I've got a free, you know, a dozen balls here. This is like a, you know, something she should be paid $500,000 for, probably. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Jim? What would be the market value of that ad for a professional athlete? Oh. Uh, yeah, she should be paid significantly. I mean, it's a great ad. It it, it reaches a certain audience that they want to reach. And, and, uh, She's got the right profile, and then too, if she, hasn't she, Jeff? She's marketable. She, uh, very much. Absolutely. And then if she goes and plays well in the Augusta National Women's Amateur, it adds to it, it, it adds to the whole package. So absolutely it's a it's a she's a great choice, but unfortunately she's also claiming to be an amateur golfer. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> Why is it important? Why are the rules of amateur status important then, Jeff? And I the first argument I guess that springs to my mind is particularly in amateur golf, we've already seen Certainly in America, I know it's out of control with the junior tours and the amounts of money that families oh. are spending trying to develop young kids into ultimately professional golfers making a living. But doesn't that, doesn't that especially need to be a fair um, competition? And if, if, we, if we allow it that you know, kids can get paid, if we just do away with the rules of amateur status, don't you automatically and immediately create an unfair playing field for the likes of Lucy Lee versus... Some kid from you know uh, a not particularly wealthy background who just doesn't have the means to access well, and the that stuff was, that, that Lee does, yeah, right. And that was the concept of the of the rule change to allow you to accept equipment to level the playing field, so that somebody who shows uh, a lot of talent could um, 
benefit with free equipment so that they weren't a disadvantage to uh, a player who is uh, rich and can buy the latest driver and 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 all that's very important now especially as technology is so uh so vital um but where again where i don't i never have been able to understand uh where why they jump the 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 shark on I, i mean i just don't understand why you need to have the logos all over you and so what's happened um, is that that it's just given young players and their families a mentality of well we're going to be a we're going to be a Titleist team or we're going to be a Callaway or we're going to be a TaylorMade family and uh, it, it just took the whole thing to another level visually uh, that that you can't go back from you know and they went from they used to like I had to play a USGA qualifier with tape over my college golf logoed shirt they used to be wow. extreme the other way yeah it was it was absurd it was an ncaa amateur status thing that was just dumb and uh that was extreme the wrong way so now they've gone the other way and and obviously it's important right now too for college golf because if if they just keep doing this kind of thing and blur the lines and becomes just uh a, another mini tour uh, the HAGA and amateur golf, and uh, then college golf kind of gets thrown out. And again, it's more about uh, it, well, one protecting the amateur game if you value that kind of thing, uh, and 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 the U.S. amateur and the, the British amateur and everything else. But um, it's just also this question of uh, uh, is just is is, is there a game that uh, People will play competitively that, that's just for the enjoyment of the, the competition, uh, or does everything have to be played with with a profit motive? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's the decision. And, and I, I think if amateur golf gets uh, undermined, if they don't do something here or uh, and they allow this, uh, I mean, all bets are off then what that does to the, the stature of the RNA and, and the USGA. Since there's just no amateur golf, then 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 What's the you know, point? What, what they, you know, <laughs> where do they go from yeah, there? That's right. Yeah. Plates. Well, well, there is no amateur golf anymore in the sense that we used to play when there were career amateurs who had jobs and families and they played serious amateur golf. I'm I'm caddying in the Masters of the Amateurs this week, which is a big amateur event at Royal Melbourne where they get a bunch of guys from America come and play. And kid Matthew Wolf's playing because he played mm-hmm. behind us yesterday. He's fun to watch. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, um, you'd be nervous in front of him, wouldn't you, Clates? Is there a safe yeah. distance in front of him to be? He smashes well, it. <laughs> he does smash it. Um, and it's not amateur golf in the sense of the way amateur golf used to be. It's no. assistant pro golf. It, it, it's, it's, they're all every, there's no one over. I'm telling for Julian Seuss, who's 22. And she said, I feel like I'm really old here. Mm. And it's like, well, you are, because every other kid's 18. <laughs> but it's just assistant pro golf that's all it is there's not you know there's not one kid there who doesn't want to be a golf pro who's looking to be a career amateur player and right. it would be interesting to put to, to survey the fields of this tournament in the past and, and this one now and see how many of these kids are playing golf in five years time some of them will be on the tour some one or two of them might be successful maybe more uh, but the question is how many of them will be playing golf in five years? Because if they don't yeah. make it on the tour, it seems like they just give up. They give up. Because, right. it, because at 30, why would you want to play this tournament? Because you're just playing with a bunch of kids and you just feel, well, you know, what, you know, what am I doing here? Like Mike Cocking, who's a, you know, my partner in our design business, who's a tremendous player, but 
has no interest in playing amateur golf. He said, why do I, you know, he's 40 now. He said, why do I want to go and play with a bunch of kids? Yeah. Yet 30 years ago, 40 years ago, when I was a kid, he was the, you know, that type of player was the mainstay of amateur golf. They've disappeared from the game, really. So, you know, the question is, is amateur status just a complete an acronym? And, you know, should we just do away with it altogether? And, I mean, don't play for prize money, but, you know, the notion of amateur golf is... There, there are three levels of golf now, professional golf, young kids preparing for, for professional golf, and, and club golf. Recreational and that's, golf. Uh, yeah, the, you know, there's this middle rung that's not really amateur golf anymore. No. My campaign is, Clades, the three levels should be recreational, amateur, and professional. And by amateur, you're talking elite amateur, where you're caddying this week. They're amateur golfers. Yeah, I'm yeah. a recreational well, golfer. Well, <laughs> they're not am- Well. They're not amateur golfers in a sense that we knew. They're all getting free stuff. Yeah. They're all getting their, you know, I assume they're getting their expenses paid in some form or another by, some are, some not. But they're just kids readying them, themselves for the professional to, tour. To play the professional tour. You know, it's, you, you know, it's this sort of land in between recreational club golf and the tour. Yeah. And, and that's what, what top level amateur golfers become. To, as far as to, I can see. To a, to a light. What, what is a potential, what might a potentially sensible system look like then, Chuck? I mean, the, the authorities have tried, haven't they? The mid-amateur, the whole idea of yeah, the Yeah, they tried with the mid-am. Was, yeah. was to do and, that, and doesn't seem to have worked. What might no, have... that's a very strange little tier, and you were mentioning those tiers. It's it's here. I don't know what it's like uh, down under, but it, it, for us, it's just this... That's this bizarre little uh, clubby world now. There's this sort of mid-amateur... Uh, circuit of tournaments and and kind of elite amateur rich guy uh, good players, um, but even that, even that, I mean the the U.S. mid amateur champion uh, this year now is a converted a former golf pro, pro who now wants to turn pro again. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, and so the regaining of amateur status has also undermined this because they've allowed some people to regain status who 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 made a lot of money. Um, or and there's nothing they can the, the governing bodies can do about this, but people who who regain it to then play this circuit until they're going to turn pro again, either for the Champions Tour or now we have somebody who actually believes he can he's found something and can can play as a professional again, um, but he's going to wait until he can use the Masters exemption and all that, uh, and so it's another element in all this it's kind of comical but yeah the the, the mid-amateur circuit of of the elite events is kind of an odd odd little uh thing in all this too and it's it's very uh, uh you know nobody really pays much attention to it except in this little very small uh, elite world so so is there a solution i guess then jeff i mean the, the transition from amateur professional used to be quite sort of black and white i mean clates was clearly an amateur until he decided to turn professional as we've already we see in the modern age that that line's a whole lot more blurred is there a simple way is there a i'm not i don't follow it closely what, what what's semi-pro in baseball is there something we can take from that in golf is there a, a different tier mm-hmm. structure we could have how, how could you do it what do you do with colleges what do you do with the field at the master of the amateurs this week yeah I, I don't I don't have a solution. I, I think you either have to go back to uh, uh, no visible corporate uh, alliances and uh, very uh, and stricter rules on on the freebies, or you just have to to let it go. I don't I don't see any place in between. Do you, Clates? I I, I can't fathom anything. But no, yeah, you know, I just 
Look, it's, it, it's morphed into what it's morphed into. It's just, it, you know, it's professional golf without the prize money, you know, for, for kids who all want to be pros. Mm. I mean, yeah, and the sad thing for me is that so many of them just in 10 years, five or 10 years' time right. won't be playing golf at all. We'll lose, lose them to golf. And that's where, where the weakening of, of golf media probably has deprived us of some stories. Uh, it's saying, hey, I mean, every once in a while you'll see a writer on Twitter look at a leaderboard from, from 10 years ago of some event, uh, but they won't actually do a story but you 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 could go through some leaderboards and college events or big amateur events and and then kind of ask uh, where are they now and it's it's appalling how many of them don't make it or not appalling but it's shocking uh and so you want to yeah you'd like to point if there were a little more coverage of that i think some of these players would would uh maybe be more realistic but again the, the the world's just just dying to push Mm. younger younger people and they have teams around them i mean we just had two guys turn pro in the middle of the college season because they're going to get their seven exemptions on the pga tour um and they're both seniors you know and they both just have a few more months to go and to cap off one of them's you know had a great career uh and and he could win the ncaa again and uh another one is part of a team that has a chance to win the title and I'm like, what is the hurry? And and for seven spots, uh, which you know, who is convincing them that you're going to be able to just walk right out there and make enough money in seven PGA Tour events? I mean, the U.S. Amateur winner at Riviera in 2017 tried that and uh, thought he could just go to the Memorial and cash a big check. And uh, yeah, I think there's a very good chance we'll never hear from him again. Yeah, a, a lot more. He's time. already. A lot more don't make it than do. That's the reality yeah. of professional, isn't it? Clayton, I just wanted to go back, and you mentioned, you know, the the forty year old career amateur who might have been in this field thirty years ago when you were playing. For the players in that field, is there have they lost something because we don't have those players anymore? Did you learn things from those guys? What what role did playing with you know the the more senior players who were career amateurs who decided not to turn pro for whatever reason? Was there any mentoring there or advice from them that made you think about your own future? Yeah, they were great. And beating them was a measure of your progress. So I, I can remember at every level when I, when I first beat a player who was better than me. I remember the first time I beat a player who was in the state team. And then you, know, you beat Kevin Hartley, who was the best amateur in Victoria. Then you beat Tony Gresham, who was the best amateur in Australia. And that was a measure of how you were progressing. Mm. But, you know, but, but, I mean, to tell a story about Kevin Hartley, he played in the Eisenhower Cup in Mexico in 1966 with Bob Murphy, who was a U.S. amateur champion. And Hartley was a great play. You know, he was a, and, and he had a job. He, he practiced from sun up to quarter to nine in the morning every day. And then he went to work as an engineer at a big company here until five o'clock. And then in the summer, he went back and practiced after work. Wow. He had a proper job. <laughs> wow. And, and he, he walked off the 18th green at, in Mexico. And Bob Murphy said to him, he said, what the hell are you doing here? You're one of the best players in the world. And Hartley was a great player. You know, but and, and Gresham won big amateur, big. Well, he beat Billy Dunk and David Graham to win the New South Wales Open here as an amateur, and beat Roger Davis to win the South Australian amateur. So he was he was one of the better players in Australia, amateur or pro. Mm. But you know, so they were great to play with, and they were great to the kids, and they passed down all the you know, their information and, and their knowledge, and just watching them play was. Mm. But but that player doesn't exist anymore. It is part of the problem there, Clates. I suppose when you turned pro, there was no guarantee that financially, you know, even if you were good, 
that you'd make enough to make a living in the long term. The lure of the money in the game now, you can understand why particularly young people must just get stars in their eyes uh, at the potential as a youngster and what that might do to judgment. How old were you when you turned professional? Because we see kids now going at 17, 18, 19. 21's quite old to be turning pro these days, isn't it? Yeah, I was 24. Uh-huh. Graham yeah. Marsh was 24. I mean, Peter Senior and Wayne Grady, they turned, who were my contemporaries, the exact contemporaries, they turned pro when they were 20 or 21. Greg was normal, was 21, I think. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I, I, I mean, it's a bigger question. I'm sure if you went, Jeff, into the halls of the RNA and the USGA, behind closed doors, they would all lament the fact that we've got all these kids who are turning pro and most of them are never going to make it, which is true. And it's always been true, but there are more now. But my argument's always been that it's actually their fault and it goes back to the equipment. They've allowed the equipment manufacturers to get away with so much that they've given thousands of kids the same set of skills with the driver because the driver's so easy to hit. The ball goes so far. There you go. There's the drink. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So a guy like, you know, guys like Greg Norman and Woosnam and Seve, Sandy Lyle, who were great drivers of the golf ball, could put themselves far in front of everyone else because they hit the driver so well. Now, every single kid does the same thing with a driver. So in allowing the equipment to be so poorly regulated and so easy to use, they've thrown thousands and thousands of kids into the same talent pool. And, and, it's, and it's hard to distinguish them because, it, because the, the equipment's given them all the same skills. Mm. And I think so. I, so think I, 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 I actually think it's their fault. And, and if I was a good player, I'd be arguing that let's go back and make Mm. The equipment at the top level much harder to use. So the kids who are really good can distinguish themselves and the rest of them don't think they're all good enough to be golf players because they can bomb the ball 300 yards because everyone bombs at 300 yards. Well, and don't you think we're just at the, actually just at the beginning of this? Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's going to actually be heightened by now. We're already seeing these, these, the next wave that has never played with the stuff that we knew that would actually make you think twice about <laughs> swinging at a certain speed. And now uh, they're, they're growing up on it with the track men. And so it's just going to, it, it seems to me just uh, uh, really kind of get heightened here in the next few years on, on the whole uh, launch speed and then kind of the dumbing down of the game and all of it. It's just, it's just about to explode on that front. And so, uh, they're going to be encouraged, be- and I've been hearing it more and more. I wrote a piece for Golf Week on this, how it's going to be all about launch angle, and and more and more um, college coaches and other people are looking at somebody based on their clubhead speed and, and how big they are, which is incredible. Uh, so people who are of a certain size are now being viewed as potentially wow. maybe not <laughs> capable of having a, a career. I mean, it's, it's just going all this uh, ridiculous stuff, which as you – are correct it's it's a lot of it's the dumbing down of the sport um that that that's all driven by uh this this chase of distance and is the pga tour bryden mcpherson said something really interesting uh, i'm not sure if you know bryden jeff he's a player from australia won the british amateur in 2011 uh-huh. i think lovely guy real thinker very very smart guy and he told us on another podcast that i do that uh, maybe three or four months ago that his feeling was that the pga tour is trying this this web.com breeding ground where they make the courses easier and you get the lower scoring that that's transferring to the PGA tour where they want to have a similar 
kind of thing, and they're encouraging a certain style of play, which is pretty much based around distance, the power game, which we know from Monaghan said last week that you know yeah. that, that that's what sells. Do, do you think that's true? Is do you think he's right? Do you think the PGA Tour is setting up courses to reward a certain style of play? Um, that's playing into all of those things you're just talking about, with the the game becoming one more one dimensional. And what are the possibly the dangers of that? If you if you agree that 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 premise, yeah, is um, I can't quite go all the way that the that the PGA Tour uh, field staff is doing that because I've spent enough time watching them set up golf courses and actually uh, have watched them evolve over the last. Um, uh, eight years or so, ten years, and that evolution has been driven by their the, the the guys at the PGA Tour level. Their shift that would make him see that change has been driven by not by wanting you know a, an edict from tour headquarters that we need to have more bombers, but more their own view that they went a little far in the whole bomb and gouge era of trying to to fight distance and trying to grow rough and and they've opened their minds more to well it's really fun to see guys make birdies certain days you know and they they still yeah there's a little bit of a thematic thing I, certain guys like to have a sunday shootout some guys like it on saturday and then have a tough sunday but they my point is they've gotten more of a mindset and they'll joke about it all me i mean like i always you know used to say to certain guys john much and um, Stephen Cox and you know you're and and uh, Steve Rentoul, you know you guys are in the entertainment business and they'll sarcastically throw that back at me like rolling their eyes because they take what they do very seriously. But uh, they have embraced that a little bit more and a little bit of what Mike Davis did with short par fours. They've said, hey, you know what? It is kind of fun to make for the fans to come out here and see you guys drive a short par four. So I haven't sensed that their approach shift has been driven by by those forces. That said. I fear that that I mean, as aggressive as Jay Monahan has been in in talking about athleticism, because again, that's all a marketing-driven thing. Oh, yeah. He's got marketing people telling him, mm-hmm. "Yeah, yeah, keep hitting home what great athletes they are." That that that's that's more sellable. Uh, that he he will try to have an influence on some point or at some point. He already is really by mm-hmm. coming right out and saying uh, we don't see a problem, even if the numbers show it which is just staggering and and by the way i just have to tell you the one thing it is great about when he does that is i get i get i get correspondences from people i haven't heard from for a while or whatever <laughs> and, and it's always the it's always the same thing you know i really like jay jay's really smart a really really great guy great guy um but is he insane is there something wrong i mean what what does he think does he not understand where this is going to go that this is not a good idea for for him and and you know and and they come at it from different points of view. Obviously, some are saying you know it's some of the stuff we lament. Some of it's just basic function of trying to get a field around. You know, it varies. But um, so the the people who follow the game from the outside are looking at him like you 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 don't you you you're not thinking this through, man. <laughs> I know we've talked about this before, Clates, but. Um... I think you said that it wasn't your sense, but what Jeff's talking about there and Jay Monaghan pushing, a lot of the players themselves are pushing, is that it feels like there's this real move to try and make golf a proper sport, that the golfers are proper athletes. You look at Brooks Kepka and these constant um, references to, oh, he could step onto the football field and be a linebacker, I think. Is that what they call them in the States, Jeff? Well, the big, well the yeah, 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 yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. So could which is hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, so could Mike Suchak too, couldn't he? I mean, I was saying that about him in 960. Mm-hmm. So could Arnold Palmer. I think he did play football, didn't he? Yeah, he did, yeah. I think yeah. he did. Hale Irwin right. did actually play football. Mm. So, yeah, you know, I, John McEnroe line, line with the best. He, didn't he say at some point to be considered a sport, you have to run? <laughs> you have to run. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so at, some, at some point, you have to run. Yeah. Yeah. What, yeah. what, what about that notion of just the general perception of the game? Plates both from within and without. Do you see a difference? I mean, a lot of the young guy, kids that you play with at Metro and around the Melbourne there who are on the state teams and whatnot, they'd be done to taking a very different um, sort of fitness and physical regime to what you would have, partly because of knowledge, but partly because do you get the sense that golf's tried to gain some legitimacy alongside sort of the football codes and the other masculine no, I think, sports? Or? No, I think they just see that if they're stronger and faster, mm-hmm. they'll hit the ball further, which they do. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm sure they're better athletes, but you know, I'm sure that's got something to do with how far they hit the ball. Yeah. But if you go back, and as we showed with Lucas Herbert, that with that test with the old drivers, no matter how athletic they are, if you give them a wooden driver and a ballada ball, they're not mm. so athletic anymore. Mm. Which, yeah, well, yeah, which, yeah, yeah, they lose 30 yards of their athleticism straight away by... <laughs> <laughs> playing with a proper golf club. Indeed. Which is not to say they couldn't get it back necessarily uh, over time because good players learn to hit the old stuff pretty quickly, don't they, Claire? That's the truth of it. You give a good player a club he's never hit and within 10, 15 shots most of the time, they'll have figured out how to get it in play. Somehow I'm intrigued, Jeff, by what you were talking about before that this notion of recruiting for colleges is starting to be based not on how good your short game is or what sort of scores you shoot, but how yeah. big you are and how fast you might be able to swing the club. I didn't know that. That is an extraordinarily unhealthy yeah, pointed yeah, to yeah. the future is it not oh sure coaches get sent you know their numbers the guys will send their numbers and then uh, and I've, I've heard of people get uh getting pushed back saying you know well he's got to get up into the you know these you know this smashback factor or this speed you know to be really seriously considered and um you know i i had a parent mentioned the other day that that that, that other parents were envious that their child was growing and they're worried there's they're, they're their son's not not growing, not going to be tall enough, and I'm just I, I'm listening to this, thinking, holy cow, that is that. I mean, it used to, when I when I was a junior, I was at six two, and it was that starting to get you know. Remember Clates? That was starting to too get tall. Like You're too tall. End. That's too tall. Yeah, <laughs> Weisskopf yep. was a freak, mm-hmm. uh, but nobody else. You had to be five eleven, um, and short was great. Uh, and I find that just so depressing because I think what's beautiful about the game is seeing all different body types, all different heights, all different swing types. It's, it's, uh, and they don't, the marketing people don't see the beauty in that. And then the marketing people have the ears of, of everybody in charge. It's, this is what happens. It's, they're just going to pursue this, this vanity, uh, this fake, uh, uh, imagery and, and then not even think about the side effects. It's, it's really quite, uh, sad. Mm. But because it's sad because, you know, there's going to be some kids out there will never hear their stories, but that just went, well, you know, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't uh, see myself fitting the, the model of, of uh, what a golfer is supposed to be. I mean, we may even see it right before our eyes here in the next two or three years where George Spieth could, could go into irrelevance. Mm. Uh, maybe not because technically his game is poor, but maybe because he, he, he presses himself because he doesn't have the ability to 
to pursue the, the 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 max distance thing. I mean, it's 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 very possible. We'll we'll see it happen in the short term. Yeah, it's hard to beat someone from thirty yards behind him, and he's yeah. yeah. And and you, the history of the he's game, of course, sword, is that by the way, but you know, <laughs> no, no, he bombs it. But yeah, I mean, Cameron Champ is going to be the norm in ten years' time. Right, maybe even sooner. Yeah, yeah maybe, maybe seven. Or, yeah, yeah. Funny, you know, I was watching a 2004 clinic that Tiger Woods gave. I can't remember why I was on YouTube. You know, you go down the rabbit hole. Who knows what you watch? Mm. And in 2004, I think it was Mike Tirico, because you know we all remember when Woods came out, he was freakishly long. It was like, wow, this he was the the, the champ of yeah. his era. And this is seven years down the track, and Tirico says to him, "Is it true that you're not the longest on tour anymore?" And he said, "Oh yeah, no, no. There's guys hit it past me." He said, "And if you go to college, that's where you find the real long hitters." because that's all they do is work on trying to hit it further. So you're exactly right. Cameron Champ's not long out of college, but all of his contemporaries and the guys three years behind, aren't they, Clates? They're watching him. They're saying, how does he do that? How did he do that? How did he get that extra three miles? How did he get that extra fourth mile? How did he get... That's all they're doing is figuring out how he's hit it um, that far. Well, sorry. Oh, quickly, and just one last thing. I don't know. It's it. Uh, the, the other thing that, that we that's part of this too is that they again the the the, the marketing mentality uh, is that this is what sells. And uh, Andy Johnson did a, a, a noticed a great thing on the the PGA Tour's year end yes, uh, uh, wrap up of fifty. Did you see that fifty yeah. best shots? Yeah. Only two of them were drives. <laughs> yes, um, that's right. You know, and that was the argument I had with Jay Monahan last March at the at the match play. I think we may have discussed it on the show, where he was he was trying to make the case of distant cells, and we were standing in a in a, a corporate chalet. This one happened to be midway up on a short par four. But I said, well, then, you know, Jay, well, if this is the case, then why are, why do you guys keep building grandstands at, at the greens? Why aren't they at the tees and surrounding tee boxes? And and uh, and then, of course, you could take it a step further. Why isn't the world long drive the, the yeah. highest rated mm-hmm. off event of the year? It's, it's just so short-sighted and so dumb. Of course, and then, of course, the last thing. We know the more it becomes a power game and they all hit it far, then distance loses its cachet. It loses the the thrill of. I mean, Cam, Cam Champ's coming along, and it is kind of it's fun to see somebody who is significantly longer than everybody else. Um, but we want it to happen because of their 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 gift and their skill. And he still would be longer than everyone else if the ball, you know, were tweaked a little or the uh, whatever happens happens. Uh, so it's it's uh, yeah, but we have a lot of people who are not thinking this through. And not, or the ones who have are not doing a great job making their case. So let's talk about what the potential issues are. Because Jay Monaghan said last week, he was asked about the distance things. Why would you change anything? The game is growing and thriving. He might live to regret that because that's palpably yeah. untrue, except at the professional level. What are the dangers for Jay Monaghan? It seems to me that that attitude... I mean, the game is not healthy and thriving at the grassroots level. And the grassroots no. golf level is the golf audience. So if you're in the in the business of professional golf, you need to, you need that audience to be healthy to keep watching golf. So is he not, I mean, ultimately, it's just not a sustainable position, is it, that that we're going okay in pro golf, ergo we don't need to worry about what's going on in clubland and courses closing and people giving up the game? There's a, there's a short-sightedness, to, short-sightedness to that, isn't there, that's um, hard to fathom. It's it's beyond belief, yeah. I, don't, I just, that was the comment that really actually uh, irked 
some people in the golf industry more than anything that I heard. And, uh, yeah, that's why they're bullish on Top Golf because Top Golf creates not necessarily golfers, but people who can view golf. Yeah. Yeah, who are a little more connected to the game without actually being full-fledged golfers. And then there's a chance a few of them will, will take up the sport. Um, but it, it, it really is uh, an interesting place the tour is in because the previous two commissioners, and you know how I felt about Fincham, uh, and I think Clates would agree, they Fincham and Beeman both still – we're cognizant of what you just laid out, Rod, that, 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 that it's beneficial for them for the overall sport to be, to be healthy because that, that, that only can make the, the PGA Tour stronger because those people are connected to the sport and playing the sport and spending money on it and, and enjoying it, and therefore they're going to they're gonna be that much more in, uh, able to enjoy the PGA Tour. The difference now is that, Again, you have marketing people in a lot of key jobs, and everything that they are trying to do is about trying to get new people, new audiences. They don't care about the core golf audience. They want to get new people, and over and over again, that really hasn't gone anywhere except when Tiger Woods plays, and there's nothing you can do marketing-wise that, that, that explains that. He's just, he's just different, and people just like watching him who are not necessarily golf fans yeah. and so it's uh it's a it's a strange uh it's a very strange time funny you should say that my mum said to me just the other day when's tiger playing again it's the new year yeah, when, when's he go. playing and she she'll turn on the tv to watch and she doesn't care if he shoots 80 or or 60 clay she play more golf than anybody i know do you get any sense from other golfers that you play? Because you play with anything from, as we said, the, the state kids to, who want to be the next Tiger Woods to, I imagine, 12 and 15 handicappers who in their mid-40s yep. and 50s play. Do you get any sense of any change in the way professional golf is viewed? The, 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 the division between recreational and professional has never been anywhere near as large as it is now, has it? I mean, the, the, the games don't even look the same remotely anymore. Right. I mean, I play with that. An 80-year-old bloke most Saturdays who refuses to go to the red tees even after we've told him because he can't reach the fairway anymore. Um, and a couple of friends of mine, one of whom was a good amateur player, another who's a mid-15 handicap, they have almost zero interest in pro golf. Yep. None at all. They, they play golf because they love playing golf. They enjoy the golf course. They love the camaraderie. They love the banter. They, love, you know, they, they don't care about pro golf. They've got zero interest in it. Yeah, I mean, they might watch the Masters or the US Open, but they wouldn't have a clue what tournament was on this week or who, who was playing or who won it or what Adam Scott said in his press conference this week. Or No zero interest in it. And I suspect lots of amateur golfers are like that. You know, they, they take an interest in the majors, but week to week tour life, they couldn't care less about it. I'd have to say that my club is exactly the same. I'm sure I've said this publicly before. I reckon Jordan Spieth could turn up at the first tee at Mangrove on a Saturday, Jeff. And maybe sixty percent of the blokes at the club wouldn't know who he was. Really? Yeah. Oh wow! See here, it's 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 very different on that front. People people love uh, watching these guys and knowing every little thing. I mean, I'm always blown away at some of the things people will say to me, uh, like that that little details they'll know about a switch in their their game or their swing or their clubs. And like, I, I didn't, I don't know. I, I'll, I'll look. Yeah, probably. You're probably right. He did switch to a mallet. Uh, like, I don't care. Uh, golfers switch all the time. Why do you care about that? But they do. And, um, 
and that's great. But those are core golf fans, and uh, they've just decided that's we've got them. So let's try to go after this other uh, mystery group. Is, the, is, is there? That a, the, sorry, sorry, is that the influence of the Golf Channel, which we don't have here? So no, that's true. Right. So that's the difference. Yeah. So yeah. and yeah, it's on in every golf course, in every nineteenth hole, every pro shop that has a TV. Uh, and so, yeah, there's no question it's a golf channel, which always, of course, makes some of the tours, uh, you know, the, the tour, like the tour players are, can be amazingly hostile to, uh, to golf channel. It's amazing how many times you'll, you'll hear them view it as T. I mean, I just got this the other day. It's like, it's a little too TMZ for me. <laughs> I'm like, it is, we, it, we, we, we play it so safe at the golf channel. It is so straightforward. Uh, we 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 don't get into anything gossipy at all. Like, give me a break. Uh, and and it's fascinating to me that that's how sometimes the players view it. But they all watch it, uh, and their families all watch it. And and I only know that because I used to be able to go to golf tournaments and walk around, and and no player would ever. I'd have to introduce <laughs> myself on the range, and you know. And now I never, I almost never have to do that. Now, you say that, Jeff, but I'm sure I saw just this very morning you arguing with Matt Adams. Now, that's a very sort of, you know, TMZ's like a gossip yeah. site, isn't it? That's a, it's your tabloid. Oh, yeah, t- we're really TV, arguing yeah. about gossipy things, you know, <laughs> amateur status. and Yeah, that's right. Please. The big issues, the really important stuff, the game changer. Yeah. What about that disconnect between the levels of professional and amateur golf? Do you see any issues with that, or is that anything that's talked about? I mean, there was a time you played college golf, I imagine, where... What did Nicholas say? He could go to most clubs in the country, and if he played from the back and the club pro play or the club champion played from one set of tees forward, they could have a decent match, which he would win on the seventeenth. Right. That's just not the case anymore. I mean, there's not a probably a club champion anywhere in the world who could go eighteen holes against Dustin Johnson from one set of tees forward and have anything like a match. Is there, or is there? Is the disconnect as big as I think it is? It is, yeah. Uh, and I, I can't tell. I'd be curious what Clay thinks. I can't tell. If, if it's having a negative impact on the game, other than the obvious, which is clubs wanting to build for that mm. um, or add add tees or to make changes for that that player, but I can't tell if that disconnect where you know I hit seven iron on a par three and I I turn on the telecast that's the course I've played and the guys are hitting eight iron. It's like oh hey that's cool I'm within mm-hmm. now it's you know two or three clubs for for most people. Sometimes four, uh, and if that matters or not, I can't tell. Yeah, hard to say. Uh, let's move away from some of that um, for the moment. I was particularly interested, I don't know whether you got to watch it, uh, Jeff, but Adam Scott, I watched it on Twitter, 17-minute press conference at Sony Open this week. I think you might have watched it, Clades. Hasn't Adam yeah. Scott grown into an extraordinary ambassador for the game? Since that Masters win, he has really stepped into those shoes, hasn't he, Clades? Magnificently. I mean, he's quietly spoken, he's eloquent, he's thoughtful, and he had some interesting things to say. But just, you've got to give him props, don't you, for taking on his role as Australia's first Mastersman and really growing into. You've watched his whole career, I know that, Clates, but my goodness, I'm impressed with him every time I see him perform publicly. Yeah, he was good. He spoke about not playing in Australia last year, and I know why he didn't play last year, and mm-hmm. I think he'll play again this year. But uh, yeah, he's terrific. He's great, and he's considered thoughtful. Mm hmm. People respect what he's got to say. He looks great when he says it, which is nice for the people at Titleist because he wears a Titleist hat. Um, but look, but he's always been the same. He's always. I mean, I first played with him when he was nineteen. He was. A, he's always been a great kid. 
Um, he's not a kid anymore, but you know, he, he's never changed really. Mm. Yeah, there's an authenticity about it. He had some interesting things to say, and I wanted to start with uh, Shaq, and you noted this on your website. It, it, it seems likely at this stage that he's not going to play most of the WGCs this year. That's an yeah. extraordinary admission from a, a world, one of the top players in the world, isn't it? Does this tell us anything? What can we glean from that? He says the schedule well, sure, just doesn't work out that well for him. So, Well, and this is something with the new schedule, and I, I, I noted it with, uh, with, with the, uh, I think, the irony of it and, and maybe some enjoyment because, you know, my view is, is the WGCs have undercut so many other golf tournaments that were that 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 are tournaments that built the tour and and that are important events for different reasons and and the WGCs have, have hurt those and tournament directors will tell you uh, that they lose players to those WGCs and then they're just you know it's a guaranteed fifty thousand dollars and some world ranking points and it's a it's it's a little bit of a, a scheme it's 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 a it's a club you want to get in because it really helps you keep a a card and then they're just boring events generally as limited field events sometimes they're good but most of the time they're they're kind of lackluster so i think what's really fascinating if you look at the schedule for different reasons they all fall in 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 spots where you can just very easily see the modern rich player who's got options galore and huge purses every week and more and more great courses uh turning up on the schedule than ever before where they can go somewhere and uh you know and have a play at a place that, that they'll really enjoy <laughs> and the wgcs are going to uh, mexico city it's kind of a pain and and the match place a little close to the masters and it's kind of a very extremely different golf course in augusta and then the one in august is after the open and after the majors before the playoffs like they're all just screaming out to be to be passed um so it would be ironic that in this this quest to to uh make more money and make the fedex cup uh, more valuable and all that that they they kind of kill off the wgc's with this new schedule would they um, but it, it it wouldn't sadden a lot of people who would love to say, see some yeah. great old-time events oh the tour brass certainly care because their the, their bonuses depend on on purse growth and and the wgc's are just so big purse wise but they're they're so hard to get sponsors for now it's such a bloated uh exercise and uh so it's really going to be i mean it's really down to like a dozen companies that can afford a wgc sponsorship so um i think it's going to be a really interesting thing to watch mm, indeed I thought probably the more interesting stuff that Scott talked about, Clates, from our perspective here, and obviously the President's Cup is here this year, but he seems to me of the modern, um, well, of his sort of generation, he's the most invested in that President's Cup. Do you get that feeling, Clates? He genuinely is interested, and I, I felt a sense of disappointment from him towards his teammates after the one in New York where they just got flogged. He almost, it looked as though he'd sort of, well, I can't do any more than just play my own golf, but he's really invested in it. Did you get that sense? He spoke about the President's Cup. Yeah, uh, well, well he, he's been beaten more than anyone else because he, he's been in it the longest. Yeah, so I can see why he would he wants to win it, and especially in Australia. Mm. And I can tell you, having caddied at Royal Melbourne this week, that the greens will be slower and softer than they are this week. Oh, okay. For the amateurs, <laughs> right? You've, the Oakmont thing. I, I, <laughs> in fact, the girl who's leading had a thirty-foot putt up the hill at the fifth, at the sixth at Royal, the famous sixth green at Royal Melbourne. 
which he left 10 feet short and the ball stopped and turned and rolled and rolled 30 yards off the front of the green. Oh, wow. Ooh. So there won't be too many US tour players will be very happy at that um, <laughs> setup. But Whereas the, she would have been delighted, no doubt, Clates. Well, well, <laughs> she, well, well she chipped it up 10 feet short and hold it. I said, nice two-putt. Uh, but um, she... But I think the only chance the Nationals have got of winning, which is completely against the grain of everyone's thinking here at the moment, is that they've got no chance to win playing on greens like that. Hard. They need to play the greens hard and slow because they've got a bunch of players not from Australia who are not used to playing on greens where you do, literally there is no chance of making a pitch mark in any green with any shot. You, no one even looks at fixing a pitch mark because there aren't any that are running at 14 or more with brown frictionless grass on them. Yeah, you know, I mean, it was it's just brutal this week. So, so it'll be interesting to see how they set the golf course up for the internationals to win. And I suspect it's far from the way it's set up this week, it's which is traditionally how Royal Melbourne is. Yeah. Because the US players can handle uh, rock hard, fast greens as well as anyone. Mm. So, so that's a, my take out of this week is if, if Adam Scott and those guys want to win, and, and I... I mean, Jeff and I spoke about it the other day. Ogilvy is the vice captain. I said, you need to get those greens slow. Get them hard, but get them slow. Because you put a bunch of Koreans and Japanese and a Chilean and a Canadian on Royal Melbourne at rock hard and rock fast, and let's see how they go. They'll be as lost as anybody. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a, you, you don't sort of learn it. Shaq, obviously, the, the important thing for the President's Cup is for it to be more competitive. Uh, so the internationals, if not win, need to start making it close. Could Adam Scott be the kind of player that might play the pivotal role that sort of Seve played in that Ryder Cup turnaround? Might he be the one that could inspire the next year? He has the respect of his fellow players, Adam, doesn't he? He's got all of the tools to be a really important figure in the President's Cup, and he's invested in it. Is he our great sort of white hope? He is. Yeah, it's, it's better not be Jason Day, because he, he doesn't seem that committed to it. So He's, yeah, a, no, he's it already be tired of being beaten, Jeff. He's only been beaten, what, twice? Maybe three, three yeah. times? So, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, he, he definitely, and that's why I think Ernie Els committed to Adam being on the team already, which is kind of incredible uh, to do that that far out. Mm. Although I'm sure Adam's determined to play his way on there to sort of. No, yeah, 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 but yeah. but uh, yeah, I I think he's uh, I think he's made the right move. It's just it's just fascinating to commit that that far out. Yeah, um, I've never seen that uh, in the modern era with either cup. He, um... Yeah, well, yeah, well, it's just a no-brainer to have him on the team. Course, you, yeah, you know, yeah. yeah. But, you know, if for nothing else than to teach the other guys how to play the golf course, because it's right, it's a, it's a tricky course to play. Yeah, sure. I mean, I mean, it's so and it's so short now. And I, you know, I watch how I mean, Matthew Wolf was behind us. He looked like he was hitting wedges into most of the par fours, but um, it's yeah. so short and tricky, and which is the dilemma again. It's the dilemma that a place like that has is. How do you defend the scores? Well, the, and the only way to defend the scores there is have greens that are, you know, some would say they're insane, some would say they're just, well, that's just what Royal Melbourne is. But, you know, there are no greens like this in the world. No, no, I don't care where you are. There are no greens in the world where it's impossible to take a pitch mark where you can, I mean, the, I watched a kid who's leading put, put the ball off the green on the sixth, put the ball into a bunker on the seventh the first day, and easily four putt the fifteenth green the second day, so you know it's it's crazy stuff really. Mm. It, is it the way of the future? If 
I think I saw a video this morning of that Wolf kid hitting an iron off the fourth tee, Clates, which sort of got a few comments from people. I mean, he's, he's monstrously long. So is that what we've got to look forward to in golf? Is this going to be... Because you can't make Royal Melbourne any longer, can you? It's as long as it's going you to be. You can't. Get, there's no hit an iron off the fourth? Because I watched him hit the second yeah. shot into the fourth, and he hit a great shot into the green, but... He yeah. carried those bunkers in the back tee with an iron? Because he was actually... <laughs> There's a slow-mo swing of him hitting an iron, and it's unquestionably the fourth hole, and well, it's definitely well, yesterday. Because so. I was surprised how far back he was, back on the hill he was, and he knocked his second shot on with an iron, but I thought, well, he hasn't had a very long drive there, but that's a <laughs> massive hit with an iron. <laughs> well, you, I'll, wow. I'll send you the link uh, afterwards. Uh, but the, the point being, if, if that becomes commonplace, uh, which it, well, it's already commonplace... Well, it is commonplace, it is commonplace, yeah. Is there any other way to make golf interesting? Because if you've got soft, uh, soft greens running perfectly true and players who hit it that far, doesn't it just become pitch and putt? Is it the well, only well, way to... well, 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 if you played regular firmness greens where the ball stopped and they putted at 12, 60, they would all, in a pro tournament, they would all shoot 63 or 4 around that. Yeah. So, it, yeah, which is, so, so it's a mess the game's in because it's yeah. such a great course that played so beautifully in the 70s when... Seve and Irwin and Crenshaw and Norman and Torrance and Fowler, you know, those guys were playing it. It plays so short now that the only way to elevate the scores is to have the greens where... And, and there's a perverse kind of... I, I watched the sixth green when I was a kid. We all went round to the back of the sixth green and kind of laughed at golf pros putting off the green and three-putting. And, and, and almost as a caddy, there's a perverse kind of pleasure in watching the ball run 40 yards off the green or a puck go in a bunker. Or, but when you're actually hitting it, and when you're actually dispassionate, it's actually silly. This, this is just silly. Yeah. How, can you, how, can, how can you hit a decent-looking putt that just goes in a bunker? You know, and, and a putt that from 30 feet that comes up 10 feet short and turn around and runs 30 yards off the green. I mean, it's just, yeah. And, and one of the other kids we were playing, she had a, it was a crazy pin at 15 the second day. She had a 10-foot putt down the hill and didn't hit a bad putt and it went off the green. It went 30 yards past the flat pin off the green. And it's like... Well, you know, people might think that's funny or kind of take some sort of perverse delight in it, but it's actually silly. You know? it's, well, but, it's... But, but if you're worried about defeating the course against sub-65, routine sub-65 scores, that's, that's the only way do. you can do it. Anyway. And that's the utter mess that the game's in. You know, so, so it's, you know, there's a drinking game again, but... And Shambly drives me crazy because he refuses to acknowledge that this is not just a PGA Tour problem. There are other courses in the world where the members and people care about how they play and their historical relevance. It's not just the freaking TPC of Deer Park or wherever else it is. You know, there are great courses all over the world that are trashed by how far the ball's going. Well, including the old course, we saw, I think, Huggy reposted yeah. a piece yeah. he wrote yeah. early last year, which I, I read it for the second time and it hadn't lost any of its punch just about yeah. what's going yeah. on at the old course just yeah. to allow it to host the Open. Let's move to some of the bigger issues because I'm sure people are aware of our views on the ball and yeah. uh, yeah. And, that, and that's bubbling yeah. away in the background, isn't it, Jeff? What's going to happen with all that distance report stuff? Do you, do you get the sense anything's going to happen? It's um... Yeah, I do. I, I, I think it's going to be a, a big uh, fight and it's going to be ugly. I mean, you already have various uh writers and uh putting out there that the the, the distance survey uh questions have been biased and misleading you know and of course they haven't taken part in it they just got that message from somebody at the manufacturer so they're already trying to build a case that 
that the uh, the survey is tainted and eh, it's just pathetic and it, it's it's all uh, uh, they're going to take their position no matter what. So the governing bodies are just going to have to uh, um, market this uh, decision, whatever it is that they've decided. And most people view the the, the or have the perception that they have decided. Okay. Uh, that they do need to do something, but uh, and the survey is just another way to build up their arsenal of information. Do you reckon so, it'll be bifurcation, um, or do you think it'll be? What do you think? I, 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 I don't know. I mean, that's why I've been kind of interested in the the size of the ball change of late because it just seems like it's the one way to to uh, it's happened before, and it's a way to uh, possibly slow things down a little bit. But uh, 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 not really impact the everyday golfer, um, but a slightly larger ball could could not travel as far. I'd love you know, but I'd love to see it studied and yeah. and analyzed and all that good stuff. So um, anyway, if you want to peek into just how that's going to unfold, Jeff, and how nasty it's going to get, let's have a look at the quite sort of <laughs> simple new rules: the flag being right. in the drop from the right. knee. Which is, yeah, I think we, you know, when we had our pod with Joe Foley, uh, one of the things he we did ask him about was how much this had been tested out. And what we now have seen was clearly there was no testing of the drop rule where people were watching people on camera because if they had, they'd see it looks really uncomfortable and weird. <laughs> uh uh, and then they'd also know that if there'd been a, I think if there'd been a focus group with all of us, we would have all said, uh, Sure, if you want to drop from there, fine. But if you want to drop at shoulder height, uh, go ahead. And their mentality that this is a speed-up play issue to 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 change the drop rule is is a bit annoying when they're on the list of things that are slowing down the game. It was repeated drops was not 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 in the top one hundred. No, no, that's exactly. Yeah. Right. It looks awkward, but I think everyone will get used to it and accept them. I mean, it used to look awkward dropping it behind you, didn't it, Clates? I mean, that was always an awkward wow, thing. You did that yeah, for decades. Yeah, so. yeah, the shoulder height thing was good. But look, there was a guy who posted a thing on Twitter. You can actually lie flat on your back and, and hold, hold, your, hold your arm in the air at, at knee height and drop your ball. So yeah, there are, right. there are, there'll be some cool inventive ways to drop it. Yeah, but, right. wait, 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 wait. So, so they were lying down? You, you, can, yeah. you can lie on your back. Up. And, and hold right. your arm. I mean, hold your arm as, as long as your arm is at knee height. Knee height. That's right. right. So there, are, right. there are millions of ways to put your arm at knee height. Right. One of which is to lie flat on your back and raise your arm in the air and drop it from knee height. Right. So, right. Some, some, but um, uh, again, to hark back to Royal Melbourne, putting with the flagging has been great this week. You I know, was just going to ask you. So let's talk about that. So, so for long putts, difficult putts that no one's ever going to hold, it just saves the traffic around the green. It saves time. No one's putting with the flag in from short distance to take a perceived advantage. But from long distance, it's so much better. It's a, I think it's a great rule. Mm. It's a common sense. Yeah, I've already rule. heard people yeah. are just saying, ah, you're just one of those things where my friend's over in the bunker and I, I, yeah. I'm, I've got yeah. a long putt and it's my turn and he doesn't have to, you know, like, we just go. We just, we just keep playing yeah. and people are already, you know, loving that. Mm. However, let's find... <laughs> Sorry, Clates? Yeah, well... well, well you know, again, Royal Melbourne is an extreme golf course, but but for, for three rounds this week, it, it's just been it's been so much better to just leave it in. It's fine. You know, I'm 50 feet away. I'm not going to get this thing within six feet. Just don't worry about it. It's great. It's, it's been fantastic. Mm. So let's fast so forward. Much easier. Let's fast forward to April, 
And uh, Adam Scott in that press conference said that he's going to putt with the flag in no matter what, that he doesn't care how it looks. That's what he's decided he's going to do. Six feet above the hole on the 72nd green, Jeff, and Adam leaves the flag in and gives it a bit too much spice. It hits the flag and drops in. How are we going to be looking at the flag in rule then, do you think? Uh, yeah, well, I'll believe it when I see it because yeah, I just don't see many players on shorter putts finding the look to be that good, and I, I don't really still understand quite the logic that it it's beneficial um but uh a lot of people have felt like augusta would 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 just uh not not tolerate this but i don't see that i i, I think that uh to me it's just not going to be an issue i i don't see somebody doing it and then if a bunch of guys do i, I still think they're there's, there's somebody will hit a putt that that they that lips catches part of the lip and hits the flag and and uh it's going too fast and, and stays out, and that'll be yeah. the end of the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I tend to agree. <laughs> but that, that's the only potential fallback of it or, or downside to it is I see is that if we see that at a US Open or a Masters or something where someone is, you know, tried to leave it in to, as a backstop and it works, then you'll have a controversy. And uh, well, well, hang, well, hang on. Why? Why would that be controversial? Let, let, let's go back to now. Let's go back to the 16th green at whenever it was when Arnold Palmer had that putt and hit the hit, smashed into the flag and stopped by the hole. I'm pretty sure that happened. It was it was Palmer on the 16th green. One of the masters he won had a downhill 15 or 20 foot putt. That might, yeah. might be okay. And le- left the flag and it hit it. So it's nothing's. It's already happened before. It's not, no, it's not a new thing. I know that. But when did they change? They changed rule change in the 60s, didn't it? Clay? In the mid 60s, I think. Flag yeah. had to come out. I guess yeah. we've just grown up being yeah. used to it. So I suppose in that sense, yeah. controversy in that sense, Shaq, where those of us of a certain age who don't remember the prior time are going to go, oh yeah, we shouldn't be allowed to do that. So I think most of the players, you're right, uh, who are already on tour, Shaq, will find it awkward to it. But certainly that won't be true of the next generation, will it? That's what we saw with brooms, certainly with belly putters. Sure. It was a generational thing, wasn't it? it was, you know, guys my age would never have thought about it, but a kid at 14, you know, he doesn't care. If the right. other kid uses a belly putter, he will too. So uh, interesting times. I think that's probably enough from us for today, gents. Is there anything good happening yeah, I think in we've, golf? We've, we've left people absolutely, <laughs> just absolutely hammered with yeah, all the golf right. balls. <laughs> well, that's not our fault. That's Jay Monaghan's fault. We had to talk about it because he brought yep. it up. So. He did. Uh, he, well, uh, he was asked about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He was asked about it. Yeah, exactly. All right, Clates, you uh, back out on course today at Royal Melbourne? Uh, I am. Um, yeah, we're right. in the second last group, two off the lead. So we'll see what happens. It'll be fun. So I, I enjoy watching Royal Melbourne play in tournaments and trying to get kids around who don't see golf like this ever. Yeah, well, fantastic. So, Best uh, of luck today uh, to you and to your player. But uh, thanks for some of the insights today. It's been great. And uh, we'll get some more from you about Michael Wolf. I'm sure you'll have a chance to have a closer look at him. And well, I, I, think he's a group, I think he's the group ahead of us today. So it'll be fun so you'll to be, watch him. You'll be safe. <laughs> <laughs> you won't yeah, need to be dark. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Yeah. Uh, best of luck today. Thanks for your time. And Shaq, to you, as always, thank you too. I know that you've got a very busy schedule, but it's been great to catch up uh, and have a chat about all of this stuff. Uh, we look forward to doing it again next time. All right. Thank you, Rod. And that's episode 88 of State of the Game in the bag. I uh, hope you enjoyed listening as much as we enjoyed talking. We will be back to do it all again in the not-too-distant future here on State of the Game. State of the Game is a talk and golf production. Theme music, Writer's Retreat, provided by Lloyd Cole. Visit www.lloydcole.com for more information. For more golf podcasts, log on to www.talkandgolf.com.